millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome, everyone, to another uh, Legends podcast here on Eurosport uh, today, I am excited to be joined by seven-time Grand Slam champion, former world number one, Justine Henna. Uh, Justine, thanks for being with me. And also, I'm going to be joined by, again, Carlos Zamoya. Uh, thanks, Carlos, former world number one. I hope you're doing well. well everything is well, thank you. And, and another friend of mine, Carlos Costa. Uh, a former top 10 player, uh, the best one that I've ever played against. Carlos, thank you so much. Of course, Carlos is the agent for Rafael Nadal as well. Guys, thank you, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to discuss something very interesting, which is Rafael Nadal. We've dedicated one week uh, to Rafael Nadal. Uh, Carlos, um, both of you guys have met and known Rafa for a very long time. I think Carlos... Costa is Rafa's agent. You met him first in 2001, is that correct? Somewhere there? Yeah, first time I met Rafa was 2001, yeah. And, and uh, Carlos in Mallorca, you practiced with him since how old was he? Well, uh, since he was probably 14, I met him in 97, in, actually in, in Stuttgart, not in Mallorca, in a tournament, in the indoor tournament in Stuttgart. He was yeah. playing an under, under 12 tournament event. And I met him there. I hit with him there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. But then when I was back to Mallorca, we, I was going to practice to where, where he was practicing with the Federation in Mallorca. And since then, we, we started to practice uh, more often than before. So he was 14. I think we, we were practicing together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we're going to do this slightly backwards because we have Justine. Uh, Justine, you have a very interesting experience because you won the French Open in 2005, 2006, 2007, and Rafa won his first French Open in 2005. He has now won 12. You won three. I mean, when you look at his career and what he's done at, at Roland Garros, you know how dominant you were those three years. What goes through your mind? This Rafa is a, an absolute monster. How do you do that? Well, uh, the, the way it is now, you know, on the tour, fighting so much to get more, I'm really impressed by that because uh, I'm home, take care of my kids, and I have um, a lot of respect about the fact that he keeps that motivation to be there. When I saw Rafa in, in 2005, probably it was a little bit early, but uh, when he won the French Open for the first time, I really, I've been impressed by the, 
his values, you know, the respect he had for the education uh, also, and uh, just the spirit, the mentality. I think we really was clear that that guy was a good guy and I was going to be there for a long time. So uh, from that time, I really understood he will have a lot of things to teach to the young players because what he shows on the court with his attitude and with his mentality, it's going to be so good for the game. Mm. Well, I mean, you could see that in 2005. The interesting thing is that it seems that both uh, you, Carlos, is, you noticed that very early. So when you see Rafa play now, uh, Carlos, uh, in, in uh, Carlos Costa in mainland Spain, did you know then that Rafa was going to behave the way he is on court today? Was it clear to you? <laughs> I don't think it's clear. I mean, no, no one expects this from anybody. I mean, normally, tennis, the history of tennis has been that a lot of good players like Justin, yourself, but you can dominate the two, two years, but at the end, somebody will change and people, you know, the renovation. In this case, between Roger, Rafa and Nole, they have been dominating the tour, um, winning most of the big tournaments. And especially on Rafa, when I signed Rafa or in 2005, of course I thought that he has something special and he can be one of the top players to win a Grand Slam. But I never thought about six, seven, eight, nine, ten, nineteen. Never. Mm. Especially coming from Spain, where the maximum we had is Moya with one, I think, Rubera two. So in Spain we didn't have a lot of history about winning a lot of Grand Slams, you know, it was difficult for us. Mm. Um, Manolo Santana, who was maybe your, your most successful uh, male tennis player, I guess, before Rafa Nadal. But Carlos, the interesting thing is, um, I get this question all the time, Rafa from Mallorca. Okay, Mallorca is an island with a lot of tourism. I think life is pretty good for somebody that grows up in Mallorca, if you grow up in a, in, a, in a family that has its own business, how, when you are used to the beach and boats and relaxing and Mallorca, how do you have the fire that Rafa has come out with? Where do you think that comes from? I think you are born like that. Uh, I mean, you can, you can learn a lot of things and for sure, uh, he learned and he improved in uh, many ways, but that you, you have to have it. Also, his, his background is very good. He has a family that uh, was into professional sports before, so for sure that helped. But uh, that's the way he is. I mean, if, if you can teach that, we will have many Rafas and, and we don't have that at all. So uh, that's something that uh, we, I mean, it's amazing that uh, that happened, like Carlos said. Nobody could expect a guy from Mallorca to win 19 Grand Slams, 12 French Open. For me, it was a big surprise that he won Wimbledon as well. Uh, but uh, I think uh, you, for sure, you improve things, but you, you are born like that. And, and I have no doubt about that. But is it also, Carlos, uh, the education? Because Rafael has the feet on the ground. He has this humility that everyone can recognize to him. Is that really, as you said, natural coming from the family? Is the whole family like that? And for him, it's just natural to be like that? Yeah, it's just, I think it comes natural for him. Also, like I said, his background is, is very good. Also, the Mallorca is the uh, calm island. We are called the uh, calm guys from the island. And, and for the atmosphere we have here, we, 
take things very easy, you know, and, and we are pretty relaxed. We like to chill, you know, and I think in that sense, Rafa is like that. Uh, but then once he stayed on the court, he, he, he becomes a, a beast. You know, he gives his more than 100%, I would say. He never gives up, you know. He never, uh, he all, always fighting. Uh, I think even if he loses, you you know as a coach or Carlos as an agent that he's going to give his, his best. So uh, getting to the court, knowing that, I think it's something that uh, you cannot have in, in many players. So I guess the island, the nature of the island has something to do with it. Yeah. Um, so, so let me, let me, let me, Mats, let me add one thing here because I, I spent a lot of time with Rafa when he was 14, 15, 16. Uh, in that period of time in Mallorca, in Manacor, there were not hotels. So every time I went to Mallorca, I slept at his house. And then on my way to, from the house to the club, even when he wake up, I mean, you can see how focused he was. Only with 15, 16, 17 years old. Only, we, we were having breakfast and he was focused on the practice on that day, just thinking about today, I need to work my slice or myself. So he's, he's something special here mentally and, and about the concentration and, and to improve every day, every day, every day. Yeah, you know, I, I have an interesting, I, I ran into a certain Boris Becker on a private plane with his agent at the time, Jan Tiriak. And uh, we were having uh, food in the plane and Boris, who's a big guy, was putting food in his mouth. And then he put his fingers to try and take food from his tooth. And John Tyriak, he didn't slap him, but he went, Boris, you have to put your hand in front of your mouth. Did you, as an agent, Carlos, did you have any, uh, did you have to teach Rafa how to be uh, a, a grown-up person, a a polite human being with sponsors, with tournament directors, or like Justin said, was it just everything natural? Yes, it was everything natural. Of course, when he was younger, 15, 16, 17, he was asking more questions than now. And I had some answers, some other answers, maybe I didn't have the answers, so we were like a team, you know? And also the family, I mean, it's not, I'm the agent, Moya is the coach, is the father. There are a lot of different people in the team that I give my opinion on tennis. Moya can give the opinion about how we are managing the image also. So we all work together, of course, when we talk about tennis, it's different. But when we talk about the image, father, uncle, the coach, the physiotherapy, everybody gives uh, his opinion and, and we try to find the best for, for him. Mm. Yeah, you guys have an unbelievably close team. Um, Justine, I want to ask you about uh, Rafa. To me, I cannot believe Rafa played the Wimbledon final as well as he did against Roger Federer and eventually won Wimbledon 2008. I mean, that stands out for me. You as a clay court specialist, you just like me, never managed to win Wimbledon. Thank you to... Yeah, to, to I'm sorry that. to remind you of that, but everybody reminds me every day. That's so good. Oh, but it's a, it's a nice feeling to have uh, a reason to talk about it. What do you think? How did he do that? Well, I was, uh, I will always remember one, one image coming from the French Open to Wimbledon. Uh, I don't really remember what year it was, but I saw Rafa uh, on the practice courts over there. And, you know, hitting harder and more focus. Carlos was talking about the focus. We can see it's in him. And he reminds me also a lot because 
Sometimes he looks uh, anxious, you know, he has stops, but it looks like the hard work gives the confidence. And uh, I could see in his eyes that th there was a mission, you know, also to, to really prove he was good on other surfaces. And for me, when he was in 2008, it was, yeah, I, I don't know if it was a key moment in his career. It would be interesting to hear about uh, you guys about that. But I'm sure, you know, when you run after this, when I won on hard court after the French Open, it was, yeah, two months later, the U.S. Open. But for me to win, to win in, in the United States, it was far from my culture and it was tough for me. But to, to win somewhere else on another kind of surface was something huge. So I'm pretty sure for Rafa, prove that to the tennis world because everyone was just talking about his game on clay. And to prove that he could win on grass, it wasn't on hard, it was on grass. Yeah, I thought it was something really amazing. What did you think on, on that match? Do you think it was something that could bring him in, in another dimension? Well, I think that turned him into a superstar, yes. Uh, I never thought that, that with his style he could. Um, I wonder if it's because, and I'm going to ask you, Carlos, uh, uh, Moya, because Rafa had had a few injuries along the way, how does his career keep going? How is he able to refocus again and again and again and again? I mean, once or twice, but he's able to do it over and over and over again. Does this help him in the long run or explain that to me? Uh, you, to me, it's amazing. Like I said, if that's something that you can teach. I don't think you can teach that because uh, there is only one Rafa and, and all the struggles he had in the past, he always came back stronger and, and he's been through a lot of pain in the past and, and some, sometimes even doctors saying that that's going to be really bad and, and they were not sure if he was going to be able to come back even more when he was younger. But he always somehow found a way to, to come back stronger and his mentality, it's, it's amazing. It's something that uh, I still learn from seeing him every day. Mm. You know, how, how, how focused he is, how, how he competes, his will to keep evolving and to keep improving. And um, of course he wants to win, but he wants to improve. I think wanting to improve is, is the way for him to, to then win. He knows if he's ready, if, he, if he's evolving, he's improving. Uh, he's going to find a way to, to win. So he's very focused on that. And, you know, being in that race uh, as a, for a number of Grand Slams also is, is for sure is uh, giving him power and strength to, to still come back and to see all the other guys that uh, even at this age still mm -hmm. able to compete. I think they, they encourage each other to, to be better players. So that also helps. And Carlos, as, as the agent, you have been with so much ups and downs with, uh, with Rafa. When have you been the most uh, proudest, proudest agent? After difficult times, there is a certain victory. When was for you the biggest moment when you say, why, this guy really impressed I mean, when, I remember when he, was, um, he won the French Open in 2005. And then um, he went to Wimbledon. And I think he lost second round. Yes. For me, it was normal. I mean, he was a clay court player. I never thought he would be that good on, gra on grass or even on hardcore, I don't know. And then he was very depressed, thinking about, wow, I want to win women on once and I don't know if he's gonna, I'm gonna make it. So the way he was working on this to improve himself, his tennis and everything, it was unbelievable. And then I saw, and also when I, I remember 
I have an, I remember once and I, he was 16 and I asked, will you sign Carlos Moya career now? If I tell you that you will win one Grand Slam, number one, and he said to me, Carlos Moya, I said first Carlos Costa and then other Costa and then Carlos Moya, everybody. And he said to me, well, I mean, I would love to be tennis player, but at the same time, I want to be myself. So I prefer to not sign anybody, just see what happens, you know? So that shows you that he does, I mean, he wants to be a tennis player, but himself. Otherwise, he prefers to stay home. It's not that like me, 14 years old, you ask me if you if you want to sign Moya's career, I say yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> good, good that he didn't. Good that he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he came close. <laughs> yeah. No, it's incredible. But I, and I have to ask you, um, Carlos Moya, because you have stepped in to uh, the role of being a, a main coach of Rafael. We obviously know that Tony Nadal was there forever. Tony was with him most probably since he was. I don't know, two, three, four years old on the tennis court. Tony, I'm sure, is very involved still, but he's not officially there anymore. So, so I know he listens to you. He listens to Tony. And Carlos Costa, I know he listens to you. Uh, I think he listened to the Davis Cup captain, if it was Conchita Martinez or Alex Correcha. When you now step in, how difficult is it for him to, for you to have him listen to you? Or Rafa takes advice from everybody. I think he picks things from everybody. I believe he, he's he's smart enough, and he is, he's aware of everything. <laughs> so he knows everything. And then uh, let's say from ten things that I can tell him, maybe he picks two. From Carlos Costa, same. You know, he he he's smart to to. We are a big team as well. Is Francis there too? That he is also picking things from. From Francis, so the good thing from the team is that all have the all of us we have the same idea of, of which Rafa we want, you know. So our message to him, even with different different words, different uh, person that is telling him, is is the message is the same. So I think that that's easier that we we as a team stick together on that. We pass him on the same message of what we want. But uh, there's so many people that is, is around him, out of his team, that wants to give an opinion. That's normal. We understand that. And he's smart enough to, to pick things that he thinks that can work for him. And then it's about trying. And then if it works, good. If it doesn't work, change things and something else. Yeah, Justin, yeah, Justin I have to ask you, Justin, we had a chat before this. How does that work in your, in your world? Would that work? Well, it's, I think it's a little bit more complicated for, for the girls. We were talking together about the fact that the guys, they have more people around them now than 15 years ago, or maybe when you were playing, that's for sure. And for the girls, everything has to be clear in, uh, you know, who, what, what's the role of that coach? What's the role of that person? Um, for me, it was very easy because my team was very, uh, very, very small. I never wanted to have so many people around me because it took a lot of energy to me. But what Carlos is saying is very interesting because about the fact that Rafa is very smart, but also talking about one voice, the same vision. I think it's very important for the player to feel that the, the team is talking with the same voice. At the end, even if sometimes we cannot agree on everything, but at the end we can find a good solution for the player. 
who is in the center of the of the problem you know so what was when you were playing maths uh, did you have many people around you was that easy for you to listen to different people or it was more you and yourself how, how did it work no just just one coach just one coach but but i think it's different we had so many swedish tennis players that were professionals and both carlos would know that there were so many good guys from sweden we always talked together we practiced together we played davis cup together so it was like we were helping helping each other uh, a little bit that's what i find fascinating about rafa as well is that he wants to play davis cup he wants to play doubles in the olympics sometimes he plays davis cup and he shouldn't be playing davis cup but he plays davis cup anyway i mean the heart of rafa nadal so my next question to you both carlos is and either of you can answer when i watch rafa i feel uh, a certain pain when i see him not comfortable on the court when he's a little anxious and he's nervous so for you who are close to him is it about winning for you about rafa or is it just to see rafa at the end of the match feeling oh i gave everything i had and i am happy to lose to roger today or novak yesterday but i just want to be able to give everything sometimes rafa and i feel like he it's not about winning or losing it's about his effort to me he's a, a perfectionist he wants to do always well even when we practice we do like a, a drill hits 40 balls unbelievable so hard 41st ball he misses he's you know uh, upset <laughs> so i said come on you're not going to have uh, Playing, hitting like that, none of the rallies you wanna hit, you're gonna have is gonna last 40 balls. So don't worry. The, the point is gonna finish before. So uh, he always wants to be better. That's that's. Uh, and he's a competitor, like Carlos said. He never gives up. Uh, he's very with himself. Uh, he's very demanding with himself. So uh, that's one of the things that uh, I think made him so good. And on the other on the other side. He gets a lot of stress from that. Uh, it's not uh, just about winning. He wants to win and play well. He wants to feel 100%. He wants to play well every point, and that's not possible. So we have to put a lot of, pre of pressure on that with him that to, to chill, relax a little bit. You need to play 100%, maybe 10, 15 matches per year. The rest, you have to try to, to win and to, to stay in shape, good shape, practice well. And then once you have these important matches, try to be at 100%, but it's not possible to play 80 matches, 80 matches a year playing your best. That's impossible. I find Rafa Nadal fascinating, I have to say. Um, and I've always thought of both of you, uh, especially Carlos Costa, I always, always thought, oh, you must be the easiest job in the world to be the agent for Rafa, who's the nicest guy in the world. Uh, but it's not Carlos Moya being the coach. How hard is that? Well, it must be hard because I've noticed this much that Rafa surrounds himself by quality people and you have to show up every day and do your part because he is going to give you 100% every time. And I am sure he expects you guys to give 100% every time and that's why you're there. So thank you so much for this first part of our podcast with Carlos Costa, Carlos Moya, Justine Hena. Uh, I'm Mats, and uh, we're going to be back 
uh, in a little bit. And we're going to be joined by Francisco Roj, who's going to take Carlos Costa's place. So, Carlos, you go back to your work, and Carlos Moya will be with you in a little bit. We've been joined by Francisco Roy, uh, who has been Rafa's coach, one of the coaches, technically, tactically. Francisco, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to start with you. How are you doing? Good, Max. Thank you for inviting me to talk about, a little bit about tennis. In this period, I think we cannot play, but at least we can talk. <laughs> um, you uh, are going to get a chance to try to explain to all of us about Rafa's changes in his serve and his grip and his forehand. But first, when did you start working with Rafa, Francis? Uh, well, it was in uh, 2005. Um, we went to South America to play three tournaments. Uh, we played in Buenos Aires, Costa de Sahuipe and Acapulco, and he lost quarterfinals to Gaudio, uh, unbelievable match. Uh, Gaudio just won the French Open the, the year before and uh, Rafa won 6-0, first set playing unbelievable and then the, the crowd started killing him, talking unbelievable on that court, I saw so many things and he lost 6-0, 6-1, so he was so disappointed but I think it was a good lesson for him and then he won the next two tournaments, so it was great. Carlos. How do you, because I look at you and Francisco, that are both former players, you're both coaches, you're both very technically minded, you're both obviously tacticians. How do you fit in with each other? And what does the conversation sound like between the two of you? Do you agree, disagree? You never agree 100% with uh, everyone. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's, that's not possible. But the, the thing is, uh, what I said before, that the whole team, we have a clear view of what we want from Rafa. And on that, we agree on 99% uh, of things. So it's good to have uh, four eyes, two different voices to, to pass the message to, to Rafa. And I have to say that we also rely on Carlos Costa. Carlos is his agent, but he was top player before. So uh, he's uh, also a voice of experience, of knowledge uh, of tennis that we can talk to him not as an agent but also as someone who knows about tennis a lot so uh, i think that we fit very well i think you have once you are with a player like that caliber you have to to put your ego aside and, and work for him yeah. justin yeah i just wanted to know if you, your roles are very Clear, you know, one of you is going more on the technique, for example, the other is going more on the tactic uh, side, for example, and also about the communication with Rafa. Do you both communicate, you know, not the same way, but is one of you communicating more because it's easier or you really take it globally, you know, because uh, it's pretty, not strange because it becomes more usual, but you say it's very fluid, but is it very clear? Of, who is doing what? Well, as Carlos said, um, we had a clear goal, that, uh, especially with a player that uh, we know is at the end of his career. He had uh, a lot of, uh, he spent a lot of energy on all his career. 
So the goal was to play more aggressive, no? try to serve better, to be more aggressive, to be shorter with the points. Obviously, uh, always uh, to see for two guys the same same way is not easy, but uh, almost 90% we were agree. And uh, we had a lot of communication. Today with the technology, I mean, everything is easier. And Carlos is a master on, on technology. He gets all the statistics. Uh, he, he, we always know that he's the king of the statistics, so this helps a lot. And um, I think it's a great communication. Uh, also, I have to say that Rafa puts everything to be everything easier. He's a guy, he likes to be always with a good relation with all. He, he, had, he had the problems, so he puts everything easy on the way. But you have to, you have to accept it, right? Justin, you and I were talking. You have to, it's one thing to, for, for Carlos to come and say, Rafa, you should serve uh, more to your right-handers forehand, less slice, second serve with more kick. Uh, and Francis, you might say something about the grip, although the grip we're going to come back to in the serve, because I'm not sure what the story is. But just into you as a player, if my coach told me that and I've won seven majors when he tells me, I'm going to say, hey, really? You think I'm going to change now? No. What have you done? So, Justin, how you as a player, how does Rafa do that? And were you able to? Well, I think we, we all know and agree that that makes the, the, the great players and the great champions the acceptation of uh, changing things or improving things to, to become a better player because the concurrence is, is, is tough. I think in our mentality, all of us, we, we want to give the best. We want to make sure that uh, we can be better in many ways, you know, as a person, as a player. For Rafa, it looks like it, it's pretty natural. I read uh, an interview of Francisco uh, preparing this a little bit and you were saying that he is listening a lot, which uh, is the, yeah, just the sign of an open mind, which is the key. If you open yourself, okay, how can I get better? And then you start to feel, but at first it's to accept. At 14 years old, my coach, Carlos, guess, uh, I had a very bad grip in my forehand and said, with a forehand like that, your dream is to become number one, but you will never make it. And we decided that I would go away for competition for six months. And we decided to change the grip, which was a big change. At the beginning, it was so hard to accept. But at the end of the process, I understood I was a much better player and that maybe I could reach my goals. And, and Rafa, I think that we can see in his eyes, in his mentality, he wants to be better. better. He wants to learn. He wants to listen. And that's the key why he's still on the tour trying to, to get better. Because when you see at all these top players and the level of the men's game, I don't know what you think on that, Max, but if you, don't, if you stop trying to improve, it means it might be the end. So that's, that's, that is why he's still at the top. Yeah, I mean, I, th I would like to um, um, say that I think tennis is very difficult to change because you play tennis the way you want to play. Winning is a byproduct of playing tennis the way you want to play. Everybody always said Andy Roddick, the great serving American, if he could play more aggressively, he could beat Roger Federer and win more. Well, he didn't want to play more aggressively. So to Francis and Carlos, the thing about Rafa is that I think originally he's a baseliner who likes to, to play from the back and likes to play a little bit of defense. Or... Was he, as a kid, more aggressive than we realized? Because I've also seen 
when he beat you, Carlos, in Hamburg in 2003, I just watched it on YouTube, he was extremely aggressive for 16 years old. Yeah, he, his legs were amazing. When, when he was 16, he was so fast, so explosive, and, and he was hitting the ball, the ball really hard. And, and yeah, like, like Francis said, I think uh, what we wanted for, for, for these last years of, of his career was to try to make him more aggressive. Uh, it's true that he has been winning since he was 16, 17, uh, but probably his, his game was changing uh, from very aggressive at the beginning. Then uh, you start to be aware of things. You start to be to feel more the pressure. Probably you want to win, and you are not probably maybe evolving uh, that much. So you just try to win, no yeah. matter what it takes. And and then there are, there is another period where you see that you are getting more injured, that you are approaching the end of your career, and that that you need to do something. And, and in this case, there is no other option than that, than to try to uh, shorten in the points, uh, try to save better. And, and it's amazing that someone, I have to talk about myself because I joined the team three years ago, he already won 14 grasslands before that. So it's amazing how someone still is listening when he has won so much in the past. That's something that you, you barely see uh, in these days. You, you see guys that didn't win any tournament not having this amount of respect that he has for the rest of the team and to be open to, to keep improving, to keep evolving. He, it's very clear in his mind that he knows he has to be more aggressive and he listens to us. And then, like I said before, he picks things from one for another, from another and then he tries to apply for himself. Then some things work. And some things I said is not working, something Francis said is not working, but he tries that. And then uh, it's about failure or if he fails, then he sees that maybe it's not working for him. But it's amazing how, how he listens, how, how he wants to improve. And in a that hasn't so much in the past, that's something that is not easy to find. Yeah, I changed my game in 1988 and was hitting way more slice backhands, like all the time. I was coming to the net all the time. And uh, that lasted for one Grand Slam victory and two more tournaments. And that's it. I never won another tournament after one more year. I could never find or feel the same motivation to win because it wasn't me playing anymore. It was a slice backhand and a volley player. I find with Roger has changed his game. We know that. But you can't really tell how he feels about it. With Rafa, he's changing his game. He's changing his grip, Francis. But emotionally, he, he's still showing the same attitude and appetite for competing. That's what we find extraordinary. Yeah, it's amazing. I think all these uh, three guys, Novak, uh, Roger and Rafa, maybe because they are together on this uh, run, in this race, one motivate to the other one. Probably if uh, Rafa doesn't exist, maybe Roger has uh, already stopped playing tennis uh, five years ago. But because of this, I think one it makes the other, the other one better. And uh, the ambition is huge. I mean, uh, I can see sometimes with Rafa, he's winning a tournament, a 2050 tournament in the ITP, and he's so happy about that. I mean, a guy who has won uh, 12, 13 Grand Slams when he was like this, 
and he was playing uh, sometimes small tournaments, not anymore. And he was so happy about that. I mean, you, you can see uh, how, how, how much he likes to win, still winning. Otherwise, there's no chance at this age, after uh, such a big success, to try uh, to keep winning tournaments. You need this ambition. And Rafa, also, he knew it from the beginning. Uh, the people were saying that, uh, or oh, Rafa, I remember the, uh, the beginning of the career, uh, this guy is going to play for three, four years only. How many times will listen that? So, this is one of the arguments, I think, that's why Rafa, from the beginning, he wanted to change his game. But at the same time, to change the game for a guy that he was number one, I mean, uh, you have to be, I mean, he has to be agree 100% because you, as Justin said before, he's, uh, he has success some already. I want to change something that hasn't changed. Uh, but he want to do it and still today he's, he, he, he's, learn, he's listening. So it's the only key, I think, to keep winning. And, and guys, for the future, talking about the future, when you at this level, you know, what, what is going to be the key now? It's going to be, of course, to stay healthy, away from the injuries, the motivation looks there, um, without going the, into the secrets. But what can be worked, you know, in the future, not only to stand at this level, but still maybe to improve a little bit more, even more? Yeah, I think his motivation is going to be very important. We, he was struggling a little bit last year about this period before the clay, clay course season. And once his motivation was back, which was probably Madrid, then his, his level was back. Uh, he wants to win no matter what game <laughs> he plays, golf, PlayStation, whatever. So as long as this, this uh, motivation is there, I think he's going to be able to, to keep competing and to keep winning. Mm. Francis, I, I, we need you. We're gonna we're gonna let you guys go soon, but we gotta go ask you the the uh, most important question in Rafa Nadal's career: the serve, the serve. The serve has gone from a big slice serve to a very flat serve to now. Since you've been there, Carlos, it's been going to the forehand more. Francis, talk to us about the serve. Why has this changed so many times in Rafa's career? Well, obviously, the serve was one of the part, maybe, weakness. Even if he, he was his lefty, I mean, with the lefty serve, always works a little bit uh, better. But um, as we knew it that he had to improve a lot, no? We tried, and um, three years ago, uh, we, we tried to fix it. And we were working, uh, basically, in three things, which was the, uh, the beginning of the movement. With the left arm, he, he was going more straight with the arm, straight up. This was, this was uh, the first part. Then uh, we, he was uh, making a lot of flexion with the legs, too much. He was sitting when we were taking uh, tapes and, and uh, videos and, and photos. When the ball was in the top, uh, he was totally down. And this uh, makes him to lose a lot of power. No? And then the, the, the third... Uh, uh, change was on the uh, stepping on the core. I mean, uh, he's moving much more into the core with the right foot. But this is this is something we wanted to try before. But uh, also with the problem of the knees, uh, it was very very tough because we know sometimes he has problems with the knees. So this and and then when when you have all this that you yourself is working good, I think it's another important mental situation that when you're ready to serve and you know that is a real weapon. 
then uh, you play more attention as, as a weapon and, and you can develop more uh, your serve. Now, uh, sometimes you don't have to ask him uh, to go serve and volley because his serving is so ahead and, and with the same uh, balance, he's going to the net because he believes more of his serve. So he's trying much more with the serve. No? Yeah. So I don't know, Carlos, if you agree with this. Yeah, I agree. And, and people also tends to forget about his second serve. I think his, his second serve to me is the key in, in, in the sense of that he's not afraid to miss the first, the first serve now. He, he put maybe 15 kilometers per hour more, even 20, sometimes 25, average, I mean. And that gives him the chance that he doesn't care, he misses the first serve. And then, of course, we had to work, uh, like Francis said, on, on his first serve and, and, and yeah, to put more power to add some uh, variety and to go to the T, go to the, to the body, go to go wide. So, so this combo, I think, is helping him to, to be more aggressive. Of course, we want, we want him to be more aggressive, but he's, if his serve doesn't work, there is no way to be aggressive, aggressive after that. So, so, yeah, and it came from him. I mean, we put a lot of pressure on him to try to improve his serve. First, uh, first year, 2017, he knew, but he still he wanted to keep that same, uh, same pattern on his serve. And, but then in 2018, he... He stepped up and said, okay, let's, let's do this now. Uh, that's the good thing of injuries. It, it came after an injury where we had a lot of time. And that's when he said, okay, let's do this. I'm ready. Uh, let's go for it. And, and of course, when a player says that, I think that helps in, in, in making a change. That uh, in the past, on the first serve, many times he was serving a good speed, 195 or 190 or 200 kilometers per hour, which is, I think, is a good, good speed. And, and the ball, when it bounced, was not really fast after the bounce. It was not slicing enough, not hurting to the opponent. And now, also, uh, he changed this a little bit, not only the speed, also the way the ball is bouncing on, on, on the core, it's much, much faster. So this helps him a lot to him. Mm. Obviously, at some point, guys, and Justin, we're coming back hopefully from the situation that we are in with the coronavirus at some point the ATP tennis and WTA are going to be back Rafa is so used to taking breaks more used to taking breaks than Roger more used to taking breaks than Novak so put everything aside take coronavirus let's let's try try and forget about it and let's just focus on sports and tennis is this break maybe a little bit of an advantage to Rafa because we don't have that many more years left in Nadal, Federer and Djokovic. Could this be an advantage for Rafa, do you guys think? Uh, to me, tennis-wise, I don't think so because, uh, like you said, he, he's won five rounds in the last three years. So, very likely he's not going to have the chance to, to keep that uh, on a roll in, in that way. Uh, but then once that happens, like you said, he's the one who has been more time away from the course and then being able to come back strong. That happened only once to Federer in his career. Yeah. Honestly, he came back very strong. <laughs> that was 2017, but only once in his career. Djokovic, he, he was struggling a little bit more uh, when he had this, uh, this issue with, uh, with his elbow. But anyway, 
all of them are great champions. Uh, they know how to compete. They are too good to feel something about that. And I'm sure that they are going to be the three of them as, as strong as they were before. But of course, maybe Rafa has a niche of that because he's been in this situation more often than the other guys. What I can't understand, and, and Justin, I, I'm going to ask you another question, is you, you kind of quit pretty early too, I think. How does somebody like Rafa, living in Mallorca, or Roger Federer's got four kids, Novak's got a couple, how do they not look at that part of life and say, you know what? What am I doing going out there, traveling 35 weeks a year with two guys, Carlos and Francis and Carlos Costa, who never shave? Uh, they're all both over 40. They're in the middle age crisis. Why am I doing this to myself? What is the secret? There's the passion. We can, feel, we can feel the energy, the passion of all these guys. And uh, in the team here, it's very clear. And these guys want to compete, you know, they, they want to win more Grand Slams, I think. So I would be very surprised this time uh, at the end of, of this crisis that one of them would say, okay, I'm better at home. I would be surprised, but we know what can happen, of course. Every, everyone is changing a little bit now. Thank you, Justine. Carlos and Francisco, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you wish you good luck, wish you uh, be safe and healthy. Uh, Carlos, go and enjoy a drink in Mallorca, and Francisco, crawl back into your apartment. You're not allowed outside. And Justin, what a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank guys. you. Bye. See you. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. We certainly did, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.